RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everyone. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. If you want to get in touch with us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our coveted email. Thank you so much for all the feedback here over the last couple weeks. As we kick off episode number four in our year-end wrap-up of our 2021 themes, Talent and Talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game. As the year winds down, I wanted to go back and revisit some of the ideas, research, and science revolving around talent and talent ID in the Crush Brain Game. And I also, more importantly, wanted to connect the dots here so we can all move forward with purpose and push talent and performance to new levels. And it was absolutely inevitable, we've been talking about it for the last three or four episodes, that these two worlds collide. And they collide head-on. Talent, talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game. They are so intertwined, it's crazy. And what we're doing here as we wrap up the season is we're bringing those worlds together so we have a better understanding of what they're all about so we can go into 2022 with incredible purpose. And we'll be announcing the overall crush theme for 2022 early in the new year, our 17th year on the air here. It's a big, big milestone for us. And it's going to be a massive year. This theme that we have set up for 2022 is going to bring it all together for everybody. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that theme with you all. But we have to get through this first. We have to get through this wrap-up of talent, talent ID, and the brain game. Because it really does set the table for where we need to go forward. You know, it's just like sport performance and long-term development. We need to have a solid understanding of the fundamentals of development. The building blocks on which we're going to build talent and skill acquisition and sport performance. But if we don't have those fundamentals in place... It's really, really hard to build a solid structure, you know, just like building a house or a building or anything else. But more importantly, when you look at the growth and development of humans, it is such a complex system. There are so many variables involved through the developmental timeline. It's almost impossible to factor in everything that could possibly happen. And that's why we say when it comes to skill acquisition, talent development, and even learning, it's a messy, messy business. It's nonlinear. So it's not this beautiful, orchestrated, progressive development. It's up and down and sometimes backwards and all over the place. And that's something we really need to realize. And as coaches and teachers and mentors and even parents, we have to have an understanding of this. If we really harness the ideas of development and long-term development, we've all been through it. It shouldn't be that difficult to go back and reflect what we all went through in our childhood and youth and developmental ages. But now, keeping in mind that things change. The opportunities for our kids are probably different than they were for us, possibly, uh, better or for worse. You know, where we live, the socioeconomic status, the facilities, the location that we're living. You know, for example, if we look at the birthplace effect in athlete development, we know that more high performers come from smaller communities than big cities. Very counterintuitive. You know, when we ask this at, le- at lectures or at seminars, most people feel that the greatest number of high performers come from big cities. Not the case at all. 
Think about a major high school in a big urban center. Some of the major high schools in these cities are bigger than my hometown. There's more students than there were people in my hometown, for crying out loud. I remember my first biology class at university. It was in this massive lecture hall, and I remember being overwhelmed <laughs> with the number of people there. My first year of university, one of my first major classes, and I'm in this giant room, and the prof is this little ant down in the middle of the, of the lecture platform, down below, like a mile away almost, and I'm thinking, what am I at, the symphony or the opera or something? No, it's my biology class, and there were more kids in that biology class than my entire high school. Think about making a varsity team at a major university or a varsity team at one of those major high schools. It's almost impossible for kids to get involved in school sports at these larger schools outside of phys ed. And they're cutting phys ed left and right. So kids aren't getting a lot of exposure to structured, organized sport and that team concept. So when it comes to the birthplace effect, it basically says that kids in smaller communities and smaller towns literally have more exposure and more opportunity than kids in the big cities, which can most certainly seem counterintuitive. But in my personal experience, my little hometown that I grew up in, look, we just barely had enough kids for the baseball team. And all those kids that were my age that I played with, well, we also made up the hockey team. We also made up the volleyball team and the basketball team. And then in phys ed, we also participated in all the other sports. And we had access to all of these facilities. Heck, in the small farming community that I grew up in, we had the key to the arena. We could go there at night when nobody else was there and skate if we wanted. Uh, Everybody just trusted us that we would lock up and take care of the place. And we did. That was one of the joys of being in a small community. That's the birthplace effect. You know, the fact that, you know, where you grow up and the amenities and support and access that you have really does influence your development, just as an example. So all of these things need to be considered when we look at the big picture of development. And I remember when we aired that episode a few years back, I think we saw houses up for sale (laughs) and the homes in small communities getting sold left and right. Everybody's moving out to the smaller areas. Ah, kind of funny. Well, anyway, listen, there's so much to talk about when it comes to development and talent, talent ID and the Crush Brain Game are a big, big part of it. And we're working to wrap it all up here as we head into the end of the year. So let's get to it. Coming up after the break, we're going to visit with Stuart Armstrong, the host of the Talent Equation podcast. He is a skill acquisition and talent development specialist in the UK who has done tremendous work in youth sport, but also in those high performance pathways. So stay tuned, everybody. We've got a fantastic conversation coming up right after this on Crush Performance. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. We're going to jump right into it here in episode number four of the year-end wrap-up of our two main themes for 2021, Talent and Talent ID and the Crush Brain Game. We've been working all year long to identify where we're at in terms of talent and talent identification and talent development. It's been a fascinating journey so far. And we've been also looking at the power and the holistic approach that we're going to need to take to understand all of the areas the brain game really encompasses. It's much more than just the mental game and sports psychology. As a matter of fact, those are just two small components of the Crush Brain Game. And let's face it, it was inevitable. As we move through this entire year, it was inevitable that these two worlds would collide, right? 
I mean, because they're, they're definitely both critical components to performance in sport. So here we are, episode number four. Let's dive into it. We're joined right now by Stuart Armstrong, skill acquisition and talent development specialist and the host of the Talent Equation podcast out of the UK. Stuart, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Really looking forward to having you on the show. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, to delving into the subject of the day. Yeah, and that is talent and talent ID. It's an overlying theme. We've had Stuart this entire year. Uh, we've had some great conversations and we kicked the we kicked this whole series off with a with just an unbelievable conversation with with Joe Baker from York University, uh, one of my all time favorites for sure, but certainly a thought leader in this area. And you know, Stuart, right in that very first conversation that we had. One of the things that Dr. Baker brought up is just um, just the lack of cohesion around our understanding of what talent really is. And, you know, in some of the work they've done there at York University, they went out and interviewed coaches and parents and athletes, and they got so many different definitions of talent. They're going, OK, well, maybe our starting point here is maybe to try to define this thing called talent so we can all move forward together. Is that something you guys experience over there or in, in your travels is an issue on your end? Uh, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's a debate that rages on. And it's also a debate that um, is, you know, c- continuing to evolve as well. You know, I mean, um, one of the interesting things, I suppose, in the in the whole space around talent and talent development. Um, and one of the things I've seen emerge is, I guess, people le- getting slightly less hung up on defining talent and more becoming more focused on uh, the creation of environments where uh, whatever we defy, whatever we decide talent is, it can be nurtured and it can thrive. And that's an interesting way of looking at things, I think. I mean, m- one of the things I think is really interesting, and actually it's really interesting to see Joe's research, and, and for that matter, you know, the kind of the, the kind of research that's put out there is that is how the the research has is continuously evolving and changing. You know, so there was a period of time, I think, where we were mostly people were mostly talking about sort of the social dynamics and they were talking about how talent is influenced and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and there was another period of time, you know, probably prior to that, where they were talking a lot more about sort of genetics and innate factors. And I think the conversation has sort of moved on now, whereby um, I think everybody recognizes that there is a sort of combination at play at play. Um, and it's a multi-dimensional sort of idea. Um, uh, what I kind of like, though, is an, an idea that I got from a, a professor of epidemiology course, uh, uh, Patrick Bateson, who, uh, who wrote a brilliant book called Design for a Life. And his suggestion was that if we look at the sort of, gen, you know, the nurture nature debate, the genetics versus the environment scenario. It's not genetics versus environment. It's not even genetics plus environment. It's genetics multiplied by environment. It works both ways. So our environment can influence our gene expression in the same way that our genetic endowments can help, can uh, then lead us into environments that then mean that we can, we can sort of uh, uh, flourish and thrive. And that conceptualization has been really influential on me because it's then meant that, the movement towards the creation of environments uh, becomes even more even more relevant because we don't necessarily know all that much about what somebody's 
genetic predispositions or innate gifts are. And, you know, I, I don't think we've necessarily got the capabilities to be able to even test and measure that, nor might we even want to. Um, however, what we can do, what we can control as coaches and for that matter as parents is is uh, the creation of environments that might nurture some of these capabilities. I can delve into that in more detail, but I think that's a really interesting space to be in. Yeah, no, Stuart, I think you're preaching to the choir here. Boy, boy, you're singing to the choir, as a matter of fact. I just really like that. And I, I love that perspective of environment multiplied by 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 uh, genetics. It all works together for sure. But it just goes back to a conversation that's been fairly consistent over this year uh, on our show is just the importance of environment. And I think that, again, goes back to directly uh, connect to a world you're very, very involved in over there in the UK. And that's the world of coaching and supporting coaching. I think it's something that we really need to focus on a little bit more. Um, you know, the the elite athletes, whether it's a national caliber level or even our professional athletes, they're so well taken care of. And I just feel we've got so many lost souls in our youth development where we should probably be focusing a few more efforts. Does that resonate with you? A hundred percent. And uh, my big passion, I suppose, and I, I guess it's, you know, one of the reasons I've made it my career is, um, and the reason I started the Talent Equation, actually, was because, um, you know, I, I became really captivated and was very fortunate to have a number of roles looking at the creation of sort of talent development systems and pathways and all those sorts of things. And one of the things that I really noticed was that those people who are sort of you know, working with these sort of aspiring young, young, often adolescents who have got all of the complexities of emotional development taking place, you know, hormones beginning to come through. We've had, we have physiological changes. You know, I put, in fact, I've got a 13 year old boy who's now officially taller than me of today. And that <laughs> happened in the blink of an eye, you know, and we've got, you know, we've got all the psychological, so we've got the social dynamics, we've got all of those things in play. And then you've got an individual who often is a volunteer, sometimes is part-time paid sometimes is full-time but more often than not is a volunteer and they're having to deal with the complexities of young people who are all got these different physiological diet physiological social emotional dynamics and work out what's the best way to sort of help them thrive and develop and I'm obviously talking from a team perspective here but even in the individual realm very few coaches work with just a single individual so they're always tailoring their approaches to to the group or to the, the individual they're in front of and so I've always felt that there was a just just very very little resource out there, very little support for those individuals, and I was very fortunate to be influenced and guided by some you know, very knowledgeable people who really helped to shape my thinking and my kind of approach to uh, working with young people, and um, and I just thought it was really important to share some of those conversations and so hence this is where the podcast came about it also came about because you know it's one of my best tools for learning because like most coaches I spend a lot of time in cars and uh, I remember speaking to Jason DeVos from um, uh, from the football association over in Canada and people say that your podcasts are too long at 90 minutes or so but I actually have five hour journey so I want you to do a five hour one just for me <laughs> and I probably could speak to people for five hours if I had the time myself but anyway my point being is, is that these conversations I think are really valuable there's lots of practitioners there's lots of theorists there's lots of researchers out there who've got a lot to share and actually often the information is locked away either in books or articles that are inaccessible to most people but when you get them to bring it to life and I often sort of act as a little bit of an interpreter asking the, the dumb questions I seem to have quite 
quite a skill at that, it seems. Um, what I can then do is, um, is, is to hopefully sort of take some of these ideas and concepts and make them more accessible to a broader audience who would otherwise not be able to access it. Yeah, no, Stuart. And thanks for all your work there as well, everybody. It's the talentequation.co.uk. It's a fantastic resource. Um, one thing that I've really enjoyed was the addition of the short little clip videos. I, they're just fun. They're informative, but they also peak interest, Stuart. And, and again, as you mentioned, these volunteer coaches, you can't expect them to know it's not, it's not possible. Much like we talk about with our athletes, you know, these athletes, how can they possibly know everything? They look to the coaches for guidance and, and, and advice moving forward. The coaches look to the expertise around. And so we've got this kind of chain that I think we do have to do a lot of work. We have a lot of work to do to, to round that out and support our coaches more, especially at the developmental levels. But you mentioned a couple of things that I'd like to just sort of dive into, you know, you mentioned the nature versus nurture, the incredible importance of environment, and, and you just, you know, talking there about, you know, when you talked about measure and, and should we measure, it's such an analytical age right now. We have the wearable technologies that are trickling down to the grassroots of youth sport and everybody's getting caught up in these numbers. I, I just sort of caught this and I hope maybe some of our listeners did as well, but, but your statement of whether we should even, whether we should even measure, I, I, I agree with you on so many levels there. Maybe we could expand on your thought process there, Stuart. Well, human development is a nonlinear, nonlinear process. So what often has happened historically is we create, we have a tendency to create averages. So I mentioned earlier on, you know, you've got children, you know, I have, I have a, a group in front of me, you know, under four, under 14, 14 new boys, right? There's a lot going on there under the hood, you know, there's, yeah. There's there's ego. There's, uh, you know, kind of there's a desire to sort of, you know, take a lot of risk, which is very associated with adolescence. And you know, I'm doing field hockey where if people take a certain type of risk, not only do they put themselves in danger, they put others in danger. So there's a safety factor that I have to be very, very strong on sometimes. Um, there's also the dynamics of they've all got different schooling environments, you know, so some of them come highly enthused. Some of them come you know, pretty much wiped out. Some of them are engaged, you know, kind of emotionally and they're, you know, you can often get, you know, young children of the same age, but sort of physically and emotionally, there could be like a four year difference in them and they have to compete together and you have to try and bring them together and try and find a way to sort of engage with them. And, and, and that's challenging in its own, in its own right. Then you're also creating cultures and all those dynamics. But of course, you know, the way systems are often operated, the way, you know, competition structures work and the way talent systems are often designed is they base them on the kind of sort of central average or worse than that. And this is, again, a, something that uh, Dr. Baker is very, 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 very at the forefront of researching. You know, often it's based on the big, strong ones, you know, the most mature, the, the kind of relatively oldest in the year. And everything's designed around their capabilities, their level of maturation, their level of emotional and psychological development and social development. So when you think about all those sorts of things, often what we would what we do is that, you know, we, we assume that there is a progression, a natural linear progression for young people based on these averages or based on this grouping of relatively older individuals. And anybody who's outside that that sort of paradigm, that kind of mod, sorry, not paradigm, everyone who's outside that model, that sort of idealized either average or uh, or advanced model ha is deemed to be 
inappropriate. So we have these sort of measurement benchmarks uh, or not suitable. So they're, they're deselected. So we have these measurement benchmarks, which are artificially created that in theory should track progress against a linear journey. Well, of course, one of the things that anybody who's done this for any length of time knows is that you get young people who it doesn't really look like they're making very much progress. You know, they're just kind of sort of wallowing a little bit. And then all of a sudden something clicks and then they boom, they make a load of progress. And that might be linked to physiological development. It might be just like got something and now they're flourishing. It might be there's another thing happening. There's loads of different dynamics at play and the environment can play a huge role in that. Also their own, like you said, you know, their kind of point of maturation and all these things can play a role in that. So this idea that we can put people into a kind of almost like a, the equivalent of uh, like a chicken factory and kind of produce like these perfect chickens and these, you know, it just doesn't work like that. What, these are all human beings who are all developing at different rates. So I question whether these sorts of artificial benchmarks are useful. I, I would argue that what we'd be better off doing is to create a really fertile and rich environment and to think more like, so instead of thinking me mechanistically, like how can we create almost like the perfect factory to produce the best, the, the best athlete or player? Uh, what if we were to look at it a different way and say, why, why don't we think like a farmer and create the best environment so that we can help people to be nurtured and to flourish at the pace at which they grow? Stuart, I love it. Hey, think like a farmer, um, a, an athletic farm, so to speak. <laughs> it's, van, it's a fantastic uh, sort of analogy for creating that real, you know, that real environment where youth at different levels of their development can prosper. I really like that analogy of, of thinking like a farmer when it comes to, to sport development for athletes. Fantastic stuff. Hey, when we when we talk about that whole idea of environment, you know, one of the things that we've seen in testing the, these athletes, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the higher levels and the data is out there right now um, is such a reliance on these particular numbers. On, on another note, talking about measurable matrix um, and the downside of that, another downside of that has been at the higher performance levels is um, the athletes getting focused on the numbers to the point where it's distracting from their actual game intelligence. And, and we've seen that in soccer. We've seen it in, in, in hockey environments over here. And for me personally, Stuart, we started a sleep tracking program about five or six years ago. And we used a different number of monitors. And we know about the wearables and their limitations for sure. But I saw it firsthand within, within a week of their athletes using the monitors. They would get a score in the morning. And if their score wasn't adequate, I found that they started the day in a really bad place. Oh my gosh. I only had a 56% sleep score last night. I'm doomed through this whole day. Uh, or if they did have a great score, they got off to a great day. And when they had a great day that didn't match their scores, all these things came into play. I think that's another danger that we see with the numbers. And, and I don't think it really bodes well to creating that fertile farmer-like environment that you're talking about. Um, have you seen anything like that in your experiences over there? Um, well, I, I actually think that there are, it's like anything with any technology and I'm, I'll describe it. I'm, when I, when I talk about technology, I'm not only thinking about sort of devices necessarily, digital devices. It's any, any tool that is used as a means by which to enhance somebody's capability. You know, back in the day when I was at university, 
It's a long time ago. Uh, you know, we were actually doing notational analysis, which was essentially sort of tallying performances based on vid what watching video. That was the birthplace of the modern analytics movement, you know. And nowadays, there's an analytics community out there that is tracking and monitoring, you know, kind of athletic development and using that as a means by which to sort of identify performances and all those sorts of different things. Now, of course, um, in a performance environment where you've got adults in the main, um, and those adults are often professionals. And, you know, it's a uh, the, they're, they're essentially paid to perform. And part of pay, being paid to perform is performing in training and optimizing the training. So that level of data with fully formed mature individuals may be useful in that context because it helps to identify areas of weakness and, and therefore, you know, ways of supporting that individual. It might identify strengths. It might identify different elements. But in the developing athlete, the world that I inhabit, um, because of the non nonlinear nature, because we've got all these sort of developmental variables at play, and we've got social and familial, uh, you know, dynamics at play, um, it's much more difficult to use those wearables meaningfully. Now, does that mean we can't use them at all? No, it's all about how you use them. Great researcher that I highly recommend, Carl Woods over in the in Australia, uh, he's done a paper with uh, Keith Davids talking about the use of technology and how technology can be used for good or ill, like any device of any kind. It's all about the application and the method. And in, in what he talked about was the idea of technology being used as an enhancement to the environment, a means by which we can solicit information from athletes not by verbal means or observational means, but by other data sets that help us then to create an optimal environment for those individuals to thrive within. So like, you know, the ideal model might be, for example, if you were to use, say, sleep tracking as a model and you were able to understand that that actually sleep deprivation does have a performance impact, what you could do is then modify training load for individuals who are struggling with sleep deprivation because let's say they've got exam pressure or, you know, there is a difficult thing going on within the family situation which is limiting their sleep capabilities well in actual fact when you look at it from those terms I and mean, we're not looking at it as performance metrics i'm going to use to cut you but instead look at it the other way around this is information i can use to create an optimal an optimal learning and development environment for you for you to thrive within based on the parameters that you're presenting to me well all of a sudden this is like a welfare tool now that's a really difficult way of thinking about it and that's the way I think I would prefer to think about the use of any form of technology or measurement device. I like it. I like the idea of the welfare tool and I like keeping it in context as well. I think that's a really smart way to think about it because it can be useful if we keep it in the right context. We're talking with Stuart Armstrong, the host of the Talent Equation and the Talent Equation podcast, Unleashing the Potential of People. You can check out Stuart's great work at the talentequation.co.uk. Um, Stuart, just a fantastic conversation there. That is something I think uh, because of the I guess the prevalence of analytics, especially in professional sports, it's leaking its way down like typically everything does into our grassroots level. Uh, but the whole idea of just keeping things in context for athletes who are out there, for parents and coaches, such an incredible thought process to, to keep in mind. Um, our conversations keep coming back around full circle to the idea of environment. A couple of things, Stuart, I'd love to throw at you uh, based on your passion and your knowledge in this area. Um, and, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, 
uh, when you were talking about the environment and, and, you know, everything that young people are dealing with. Um, one thing that I've sort of been really passionate about is the influence of our school system on our youth. Of course, through this whole COVID madness, it has encaptured the, the, the globe. Um, that's something that we've all been hyper, hyper aware of. But I've often thought, Stuart, that, you know, here in Canada, physical education is part of our grade school curriculum. They get it uh, every day or at least four to five times per week uh, for the average student. And I have often thought that 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 exposure, just a way, forget about high performance sport or whatever, but that exposure could be so much more powerful if it were arranged. And maybe if we supported the teachers or got the right kind of teachers in that in that environment to, to expose the kids and and more probably along the lines of health. Any thoughts on that and, and sort of maybe tapping into that daily exposure for our kids to, you know, get them healthy, thinking about healthy. And if they do have a passion for sport, um, maybe help them along their way through that, through that daily exposure. Well, I always, always feel as if um, first and foremost, um, uh, you know, I mean, I'll I'll talk about my context here in the UK because it's what I know best. And, you know, the, the education system in, in Canada from a physical education perspective may well be far more advanced than it is in the UK, but there is a a statutory right for children to have uh, two hours of physical education or physical activity per week, sort of as part of the core curriculum, two hours. Here's Here's a stat for you. Children in the UK in general, get less time spend less time outside than prison inmates. Scary stat, Stuart. That is an alarming, scary statistic right there. Wow. Significant number of children I should qualify, but, you know, it's a scary number of children get get, get less than. So, so knowing that um, and things like, you know, kind of playing out is no longer something that children very often do, either because of, you know, parental fear of what might happen. And some of that is to do with the fact of, you know, things like tr- environmental constraints, again, traffic. Um, and you know, it's not always about, you know, the fact that they might be kidnapped or, you know, or or injured, but at the same time, you know, there's increased prevalence of, you know, young people sort of experience. So there's actually really interesting data about generational radius from the home. Like our grandparents had something like a, you know, 12 mile radius from the home. And then our generation had like a five mile radius from the home or something along those lines. Um, I'm lumping you in in my age group there. Sorry, um, and then, and then, um, and then, uh, and then the children nowadays, like my my children, have about a mile radius, if that might even be less than that, might even be 200 yards. You know, so you know, even things like walking to school, cycling to school, uh, happen much much later and need to happen with super appropriate levels of supervision and stuff. So, children's opportunities for free play are really limited now. Um, and so there's an increased reliance, I think, on the education system, which is where children spend the bulk of their time. Right. Now, n- now they have a lot of free play or some free play in pl- in their in their break and play time, but that gets constrained often by the needs of the curriculum. So, in my mind, one of the things that you know we 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 working in sport and physical activity would want to champion is that you know forget two hours a week; it should be two hours a day. But okay, I'll settle for one hour, at least one hour a day, 
Now, why would we want to commit for that? Well, yes, obviously there are benefits to health. Yes, there are benefits to fitness. Um, yes, there are benefits, but there's also benefits to, you know, their kind of cognitive capabilities. There's oodles of studies that show that young people who have, a phys who have more physical activity actually are able to concentrate better, are able to interact with others better, um, are able to, um, you know, and they have a better academic outcomes as a result. Of that. It's all correlational. I know that. But at least, you know, we've seen enough correlational data to know that. So actually, it's got to be looked, it's got to look into that. But the other thing for me as well, though, is, is that even if we do get that time, how good is that time? How, to go back to my analogy, how nourishing is that time? And a lot of it's down to the fact that, you know, there's a quite a limited menu, a limited diet, if you like, of offer. So often there's the sort of traditional forms of activity that kind of everybody has to play. Well, what if you're not into sort of team sport? What if you're not, you know, kind of say, particularly into um, your hand-eye coordination doesn't lend itself to striking games particularly well or something along those lines. What's the offer for you? Yeah, I mean, you might want to go out for sort of track and these sorts of things. But again, that's not everybody's everybody's cup of tea. You know, so what about things like, you know, kind of dance and um, all these sorts of things? And there are some fabulous practitioners out there, you know, creating all sorts of fantastic kind of new designed physical activity forms. Parkour is becoming really, really huge, right? And it's growing really fast. And parkour is actually a brilliant, like very, very fun and engaging means by which to help young people with movement capabilities that actually support them in a range of other physical activities. So, you know, I genuinely feel we need to sort of broaden the kind of offer and the diet so that people have got far more choice. But at the same time, even if they opt into that, I think it's massively incumbent, going back to your actual point at the start about education for teachers, we actually have quite a lot of um, external coaches coming into our school environment over here in the UK. It's actually a government-funded scheme. Um, but again, that can be hit and miss. And often it's a little bit, you know, down the sort of traditional routes. So what we want to do is expose young people to far more opportunities in lots of different ways, but to make it really joyful. So it's not just about a physical education outcome, which is measured against a national curriculum. It's actually based on like, what if it, what if going back to measurement, what if PE teachers were measured on how joyful young people feel when they're in those experiences and how, <laughs> how they interact? Wouldn't that change the game overnight? Yeah. Yeah, and I like and coaches as well. What a fantastic, yeah. what a fantastic thought that is, Stuart. Um, right back at you, kind of thing, right? Uh, because ultimately, we are responsible for creating that fertile farmer-like um, um, environment that you're talking about that really will enhance, you know, development. But the key point here that I'm getting, you know, with this conversation, which is so important. For everybody, not just your top performers at the time. And Stuart, I also love what you said there for everybody who's listening um, is the varying interests of our children. And, and maybe that's where just critical free time, free play time. You know, when you talk about the, the general radius of play, you know, from our grandparents right down, that right there is a fascinating thought. When you look at what's happening with our youth, when you start even correlating with health, with childhood diabetes, childhood obesity, you know, the stress now, and then you, then they, our kids today are, are faced with something that we never had to deal with. And that's this 24 hours of social media. I just, I'm very concerned about that effect just on their, just on their, on their stress levels and their personalities, even so many variables that I think sport. And like you said, that enjoyable free play time could really, really be a nice buffer from all those harsh realities out there. Hey, Stuart, you know, so 
with the greatest of intentions, parents are just, you know, maybe they're realizing, hey, we got to get our kids more active. We got to get them into things. And one of the issues that we're seeing now, and even when we analyze and look at the research coming out of the injury injury rates in sport, um, is just the overscheduling of our athletes. And we're seeing it now trickle down to younger and younger levels. So with the greatest of intentions, we might be enrolling our kids into a number of activities and packing in their schedule. And they're not getting that critical, just free time, um, you know, and, and that's something I think that we need to consider in this conversation as well. Yeah, and there's a big move towards that. There's a lot of people out there who I've spoken to on the show, actually, about, you know, who are very much trying to almost create more of a free play environment for for young people. Um, and again, it's like anything. It's, it depends on it depends on the needs, you know, I mean, and I, and I do think there is a, a real need for that more sort of recreational kind of experience for young people um because like i said before you, they don't get it in the kind of street type activities that they would have otherwise got you know and, and also the opportunity for self-regulation you know because you know when you see young people coming together to participate in sport they make it fair um because nobody wants to get beaten 25 nil because that's no fun for anybody so actually they're going to make the game fair they're also going to self-regulate they're going to have some conflict they're going to have to find a way of conflict res- resolution doesn't always work out um, and that, but it depends on the context. It depends on the format. You know, there's other contexts where actually young people are coming together and they really want to strive, work hard, get better, improve. And then you're going to have to create a different environment for those. And again, this is going back to the skill of coaching. You know, you've got to be able to cater for everybody's different needs. Um, but the biggest thing for me is to have voice, have the voice of the athlete involved. And this is the thing, you know, people talk about athlete centered coaching or child centered coaching. And I think one of the features of athlete centered coaching is having the voice of the young person and the young people set front and center and to continuously place the voice front and center. You know, what is the experience that you want? You know, what is it you would like? Now, the challenge, of course, for us as coaches is, is what they want isn't always what they need. And so there's an interesting (laughs) dynamic there because, you know, you might need to sometimes balance off to say, I use the analogy of um, uh, the design of this environment. Um, You know, it's like uh, nutrition. So, you know, my if I gave my son the choice, you know, he'd be straight into the burgers every single day. Now, I can't just let him have burgers because it's not going to give him all of the kind of vitamins and nutrients that he needs. So he needs to have some broccoli. Right. But he hates broccoli and he can't. If I was just giving broccoli, he probably wouldn't eat, which would not be any good for his welfare either. So I can't just give him what he needs, you know, uh, but I can't also give him what he wants. So we're trying to find that kind of sweet spot in the middle of the experience. And I call it the broccoli burger experience. You know, I'm trying to give them something tasty and nutritious at the same time. Um, Now, I'm not yet. I haven't yet perfected the recipe. I'm still working on it. And it's a work in progress every single week, every single session, every single day. Uh, And I get it wrong sometimes, you know, as we do, you know, so sometimes it doesn't taste too good. But that's the skill, right? We're continuously, we're continuously tasting. We're continuously coming up with new recipes. We're still continuously coming up with new blends of of ingredients. If you'll, you know, if you'll let me indulge in the metaphor a bit more, um, to find something that's going to be really tasty and nutritious at the same time. Um, and you know, that's that's our gig, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, just another fantastic perspective, Stuart. Listen, really appreciate this conversation today. What a great addition to our talent 
and Talent ID series here, Stuart, as we sort of wind up this year. Everybody, you can check out Stuart's incredible work at the talentequation.co.uk, the blog, uh, the videos, all the resources there. You can sign up for his newsletter and just stay in tune. If you're a parent, coach, or athlete, it is a massively, massively important resource. Hey, Stuart, listen, thank you for coming on today. I'm, I'm really glad we connected. I'm looking forward to future conversations for sure because this is just something we need to talk about more. And I want to thank you for all the work that you've done globally through the Talent Equation, but also for your work in the UK there. I know the sharing now between countries, especially when you get the passionate people about youth development, I'm just experiencing myself personally an incredible global sharing of information as we just try to, like you said, you know, refine the recipes to help youth everywhere just achieve and be happy. Yeah, there's some brilliant communities out there and there's some really curious people across all these different sports. And um, it's really great to see. And uh, and I love the fact that we've got these mediums as a, me- as a means to either transmit information, share information or, or you know, have dialogue like this. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep plugging away. Great, Stuart. Hey, listen, thanks so much for your time. Look forward to our next conversation, sir. Indeed, it'd be great. OK, there you go. You know, when it comes to wrapping up our 2021 themes here, talent, talent ID, and the crush brain game, you can't ask for a better conversation than that right there. There is so much to break down and take in there. What an incredible hack this is for pushing yourself forward, for understanding development and understanding some of the things that we can do to help our youth and our top performers get to another level. You know, and of course, the overlying theme here, and one of the things I love about Stuart's approach and his work at the Talent Equation, you know, unleashing the potential of people. That's the mantra they have over there, you know, which resonates, of course, with Crush Performance here, uh, is the fact that they're just trying to get people involved, keep people involved. And again, the outcome will be more high performers. I mean, it just makes sense. Think about all the conversations we've had over the years about the long-term athlete development program coming out of Sport Canada. Just genius. Absolute genius. Still has some holes, needs some work for sure. But the template, the idea, and the concept is just rock solid. And that's why every country on earth is adopting it. It's brilliant. But the major focus of that program from the onset was not to produce high performers. It was to create an environment where athletes at different stages of development and in different sports can maximize their learning, but maximize their enjoyment of sport, most importantly. And again, that just makes sense. If people are enjoying the activity they're involved in, there's a much higher probability they're going to continue with that activity. And from the health and wellness perspective, that's absolutely invaluable. This goes well beyond sport. We're talking about personal health, personal wellness. And then we're talking about collective health and wellness. And that leaks into our academics and our, our, our productivity in the workplace. It also lends itself to longevity and living healthier, longer. Sport plays such an important role in all this. Not to even mention the social side of things. Man, I'm telling you, I've had more fun in sport than anything else I've ever done. And a lot of it is not in the high performance world. A lot of it is going out with my buddies for a slow pitch weekend, you know, where there's debauchery and fun and music and beer flowing. You know what I'm talking about? So much great fun, but revolving around sport. If you've never had a chance to curl in a bond spiel, 
just do it. Or a volleyball tournament, beach volleyball tournaments for people down south, I'm sure are very similar, right? You know, surfing competitions. Just think of the fun and enjoyment. Now, you don't even have to participate. Listen, I was never a distance runner, but my brother was an incredible runner doing, you know, marathons and then the ultra marathons and the 100 milers and the 50 milers. I wouldn't run. I'm not a runner. I just am not. I'm not built for run. I can run, but, you know, not for those types of distances, not something I do well. Um, But I would go out and I would be a a course marshal on my bike or I would ride alongside him in 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 the in the training. And or uh, when he's running the Toronto Marathon, for example, I would ride the course and get ahead of him so I could be at certain stages and just see how he's doing. You know, there's so many ways to get involved, coaching, volunteering, you know, uh, and keeping the co- keeping the kids involved. I think that's the thing, you know, just as a parent, all of the tournaments and competitions and training, you know, uh, my middle daughter uh, being on the freestyle ski team, just being up there. What great family time. Chopping the hill, a lot of work for the parents. <laughs> you know, we it wasn't skiing and fun. It was making sure the kids had a safe course to ski on. And then, of course, coaching um, um, soccer and baseball. As my girls grew up and, you know, went through sports, still coaching, love it, love it. And, and then kind of being that person that's ensuring those girls are enjoying sports so they can grow up and have kids and be moms who have kids who enjoy sport. The wheel starts turning, but when that system breaks down, oh boy, oh boy, are we in trouble. And I think right now we're in a bit of trouble holistically in the big picture with the dropout rates, the injury rates, this this pressure on high performance. And I think a lot of it's going to lie in educating our coaches, which is what this series is all about. As we wrap this up, okay? What a great conversation. I have to thank Stuart Armstrong again. You could check uh, his stuff out at the talentequation.co.uk. Fantastic stuff. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you've been listening to this series, uh, your feedback has been tremendous, but thanks for listening. And maybe if you've been sharing the show with your teammates or your fellow coaches or your administrators or you're part of a sporting organization, awesome. Listen, we've had nursing groups. We've had business groups. We've had sporting groups contact us about some of the content in this series. Man, just humbling stuff. But it just all makes sense to us here at Crush Performance, and we want to share it. So if we're stirring up conversations and thoughts that you might not have had before, well, for us, mission accomplished. So thank you guys for listening in. All right, coming up next week, we got a few more shows here as we head into the Christmas season. Don't forget the gift for the athletes coming up. One of our favorite times of the year. We're going to be talking about uh, the top gift ideas for the athlete this year. We're going to be running down our list of the top 10 crush gift ideas for the athlete on your list this year for sure. But before we get to all that great stuff, we have to finish wrapping up our series here. And coming up next week is a discussion I've been actually really looking forward to, like every one of them. But this one, we're going to revisit a concept that we uh, launched earlier in the year in our Talent and Talent ID series with Dr. Alex Roberts from the Department of Sport Coaching and Development at the School of Allied Health and Human Services and Sport at La Trobe University in Australia. Dr. Roberts did some of the groundbreaking work on the concept called the coach's eye, which is a breakdown of coaching biases that we have. We might not even know about our own biases, but the idea that coaches are selecting athletes not based on talent levels or or skill levels, but more based on how the coach feels they can help the athletes they select. Very interesting concept. This idea that Coaches are even subconsciously choosing athletes uh, that they feel are strongly suited to their style of coaching. 
Just imagine the amount of talent we're missing if that's actually happening out there, which it is. So we're going to follow up with uh, Dr. Roberts and some of her recent work since we talked to her last. And we're also going to talk about this concept that's being thrown out there. Um, you know how we have like talent ID camps or selection camps for this, the grassroots level hockey and baseball and soccer. You know, the little duffers out there who, who've never even played the game. We're selecting them to get them on teams that they're more suited to. Well, how about we had selection camps or a selection process or a talent ID process for coaching? How would that work in the world of youth sport where most coaches are volunteers? Could it be a useful tool in getting the right coaches in the right place, but also helping identify the information and support that certain coaches might need, especially at the volunteer level, right? But also at the higher levels where we have high performance coaches who might be getting paid for the position, helping them understand and realize the areas they might need to be conscious of. No, not necessarily their strengths, but the areas that they need to be aware of. Could be a powerful, powerful tool. We're going to talk about it next week. And then we're going to wrap up this series right where we started it, talking about talent, talent ID, the Crush Brain Game, bringing it all together in order to launch our platform for 2022. All right. We got a couple big shows coming up, everybody, as we head into the holiday season. So for now, get out there, have some fun, get a little better, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Don't forget to ride. I'm Jerry P. CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.